Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Eugene Godso, and today we're joined by my colleague, my boss, the managing partner and founder of Bowery Capital, Mike Brown. You're, you're too kind. <laughs> uh, it's great to be here. Great to be back. Um, what are we talking about today, Eugene? So this is an exciting day. We recently released our 2021 version of the Startup Sales Stack Report. Mm. So we're going to be digging into our takeaways and, and things in the report. But I guess before we do that, Mike, you want to share a little bit about what this report is and where it came from? Yeah, sure. So Sales Stack Report has a very long history at Bowery. We, as a firm, have focused our post-investment efforts on supporting companies around the revenue line. So we sort of think about sales, marketing, and customer success as the core business units that kind of need to be stood up. One of the biggest things that we get asked is, hey, um, if I'm taking a sales or a marketing motion, whether it be inside, outside, what, what's kind of the stack that I should have? Um, and, and you know, people throw around names like Salesforce and HubSpot and this, but you have a portfolio of companies. What do they use? Why do they use it? What's kind of interesting? Um, so in 2014, my colleague Nick Puos basically wrote this report uh, where we asked our portfolio companies, hey, uh, what you know? What what sales stack are you using, and what marketing stack are you using? And he and he wrote uh, it titled it the ultimate guide to startup sales tools. Um, so that that was kind of the beginning, 20, 2014. Um, and then in twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, we kind of expanded the report. We started doing a little bit more around marketing as a discipline. Really, the next formative part of our journey was in twenty seventeen when we partnered with G2. And the first year of our partnership with G2 was a survey. So we sent out a large survey to about 500 SVPs of, of sales and SVPs of marketing all the way down to individual contributors. So we were, we were hitting up sort of SDRs and AEs and asking them what stack they were using. Um, we also wordsmithed the name, not a massive change, but that's where we got the name, the Startup Sales Stack Report, which is what we use today. Um, and then, yeah, after a little bit of time partnering with G2, we realized, hey, as G2 had scaled, their database was quite large, and really their reviews were super important to the effort. And so we felt, hey, we can, of course, continue to survey participants and friends in the ecosystem, but wouldn't it be great if we just used G2 data because they have thousands and thousands of reviews. So, you know, we're releasing 2021 this year. It sort of greatly expanded in terms of the, the categories over the last few years. A lot more vendors. I think there's sort of 5,000 now in the G2 database. Um, we're obviously highlighting the, the best of breed, but that's kind of the big history of this thing. Yeah, especially if you're a founder or a sales leader and you're thinking about what tools to bring on, yeah, you could try to speak to two, three, or four references per vendor you're looking at, but you know we don't have time for that. So right, right. I found G2 is kind of the go-to spot for, hey, how do I look at some real-life reviews from other leaders? And then this report is really the consolidation of that. So what, yeah, what, like, give maybe people an idea of like what's the the high level of the report for listeners maybe that don't know it. Yeah, we break uh, each tool down into different categories. 
and we look through the thousands and thousands of reviews, this myself, the Bowery team, and we look at the data, we look at the top five in each category, we name the runner-ups, but we're really looking at some key statistics, like overall satisfaction, ease of use, ease of setup, quality of support, and obviously the, the number of reviews, right? So kind of the, how, how strong they are in their particular segment. How long does this take to uh, formulate and work on? This is, this is hundreds of man hours, <laughs> not, not me, but we have a strong team of folks at Bauer and the intern team. So there's, there's pages and pages and pages of data trying to clean it up. We so. st- when did we start? November, I think, right? On oh, this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So three months-ish to get this out the door. Yep. And um, what are some of the, maybe, we're going to get into some details here, but maybe what are some of the kind of uh, quick trends and themes coming out of this at a high level because you obviously reviewed it more than anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's no surprise COVID has changed and continued to still change even more how we think about working, selling, leading our mm. teams. I think automation has been a, a huge trend, specifically in marketing. We've seen quite a few trends there. I think consolidation has been another one. There's Who this, are the consolidated? Who's consolidated? I mean, HubSpot's probably the biggest leader in the consolidation space. Mm. They've they've made their name in quite a few different categories this year. Actually, seven, and they were the leader Whoa. in some of those. Um, so yeah, HubSpot. So that's one a of the lot, leaders. right? I mean, <laughs> that's that's a lot. Yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. Whoa. You know, and 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 sort of something that I think is is pretty interesting that uh, we didn't feel that we could give uh, justice to. Um, was this HubSpot dominance? You know, you talk about sort of seven categories, which is a very large component of this. It's almost as if you can kind of buy HubSpot for everything. If you're a, you're a seed or or Series A stage company, it can cover a lot of ground. But we thought it would be cool maybe to just rely on a friend of Bowery, uh, Revenue Council member, gentleman named Mark Roberge, who a lot of listeners um, will know. He is the founder and managing partner at a firm called Stage 2 Capital. He has his own venture capital firm. He's also a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School. But most notably, and sort of why we thought it'd be great to bring Mark on, is he was the former SVP of sales, sales manager, and the first sales hire at HubSpot. So he has a real great point of view on why this HubSpot dominance is happening and why they're continuing to own larger parts of the sales stack. So we'll sort of jump over to Mark real quick for his perspective. Hey team, yeah, really extraordinary research. I guess probably not too surprising for folks who have either lived, have been living in sales and marketing the tech sector, whether as an entrepreneur or investor, and I've had a piece of both. So why did HubSpot, and just uh, the big asterisk here is I, I no longer go to the inside meetings and the board meetings and that kind of stuff. So I have no insider information I can speak to my reflections on my days before and right after the IPO and, and why their success happened since then. Um, I would say there were three things that they did that I, I do believe allowed them to have, you know, to, to break through and to be a consolidator. The first one is they had that value prop from the beginning, right? Like, of course, the company just started in marketing and wasn't in the CRM space in the beginning. But when they started in marketing, they weren't just an email marketing solution. They weren't just a market automation solution. They weren't just an analytics tool. They weren't just a landing page tool. They weren't just a social media monitoring tool. They weren't just a content optimization and management tool. They were all of that. And they leaned into the 
integration values, right? If you're going to build all of that at once, you're never going to be the best email tool. When MailChimp is raising a bunch of money and just focus there, you're never going to be the best market automation tool. When Marketo is raising a bunch of money and, and, and doing that, you're never going to be the social, best social media tool when Hootsuite's raising a bunch of money and just focus there. But what you're betting on is the value of the integration use cases. Like when someone follows you on social media, you can detect that they're a lead assigned to a particular rep and pain them uh, and instigate some sort of email nurturing you know, sequence all in one, at once are going to outvalue, be more valuable than the 100th and 150th advanced feature that the social media only tool is building. Right. And I think that was a pretty good bet. So they, they lean in there from the beginning. Second off, at the time, the, you could probably argue that the only consolidator was Salesforce in sort of the cloud arena. And so they had to be very aware of where Salesforce was and was not. Right. And so I'll, I'll be honest, myself, as well as many executives at the company right before the IPO, including many of the board members, wanted the company to move upstream and stay in the marketing arena. And Halligan and Darmesh did not because they were disciples of Blue Ocean strategy and felt saw everybody making acquisitions, you know, Oracle and SAP and Microsoft and, and Salesforce continue to play there, Adobe in the ups and enterprise segment in, in marketing, and realized that as HubSpot, we had a lot of advantages with the SMB. And that was a place where everyone was kind of ignoring. And so they made the call to stay in SMB and move sideways into CRM and eventually services and other arenas. And of course, they've leveraged that position to move upstream since that call. But that was an important thing is to be aware of where the existing consolidators are and where the opportunity is, whether that is in a market like an SMB, or it could be a new category that's big enough, like maybe what Gone is doing. You know, their British machine learning to sales call. That could be a big enough category that would warrant you not wanting to be on a less, you know, not being on the best, but something that's already integrated in your platform, but you want to kind of be with the specialist and they can use that platform to expand out. All right. So just be aware of that. I would say the third piece is the way in which you attack a new market or bring a new product to market. I think a lot of organizations do this terribly and it contributes to uh, a much larger failure rate than is necessary in the growth rounds of a venture. Um, I think what I see is organizations do their annual planning, have an aspiration to double revenue in a year. They recognize that their core business, core product, core market is only going to get them 70% of the way there. And so they sign up and commit to revenue from a new market and a new product that they intend to attack or build that they haven't done yet. And they sign up to a substantial number, like five or 10 million. And it's like, that's crazy. Like we don't sit around here and come up with an idea and then say, oh yeah, we'll do five or 10 million in the first year. Huh, no way. We have to learn, we do product market fit, all that kind of stuff. And for some reason, we get cocky when we get to like tens of millions and just think that we can just come up with an idea for a new product and win. And it just doesn't work that way. And the place that I would be inspired uh, to, to learn about this is uh, actually one of the professors at Harvard Business School, Michael Tushman. Uh, research that in work that he's done called the ambidextrous organization. Um, I think, you know, we ran this expansion playbook into the CRM um, according to this framework before I even knew about the framework. Um, and I think he says it uh, 
pretty nicely. So if you want to Google that and take that, take a look at that, if you're looking to expand to new markets and products, I think that's a key piece to be in a consolidator. So hopefully that helps on, on you know, insights into this trend that we've certainly seen in the sales and marketing tech space. Very cool. So that, that should give listeners kind of a perspective on Mark's view and as an insider, what's been going on at HubSpot and then why they're sort of dominating. Um, but Eugene, I want to come back to you. So you mentioned sort of the impact of COVID on this tooling over the last couple of years. You know, you obviously have been in sales for a number of years as a leader, as a manager, also as an individual contributor. I'm curious, kind of what are your thoughts just in general on COVID? You know, you've only joined, you only joined Barry um, at the tail end of COVID. So you obviously were, were in the seat during COVID. I'm curious kind of what you think about this impact. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll take this from the perspective of leading teams, not necessarily like driving direct revenue, but I feel like the, the three things that come top of mind for me as we've gone more and more remote, whether you're a fully remote org or a hybrid org, uh, it's the need for good data. So having a solid CRM and actually people putting the data in, it's being able to coach and develop your teams um, and also just analytics, right? Which I think ties into coaching because you need to know what to coach them on, right? We're, we're no longer in the days where you're just always around your team and you know, you could say, hey, what happened on this deal that you closed lost a, a year or two ago? I don't see any notes. Or you're not hearing a cold call or a demo from the person next to you and learning from them and asking them about it or giving them feedback on it. So for me, it's having the CRM as a best practice early on, whether it's a HubSpot or a Salesforce, and developing that habit of getting the data in. It's been key. Mm-hmm. Um, coaching, Gong and Chorus, unsurprisingly, to, to the top uh, performers in this. I've used both. Both are great, but uh, again, it kind of relies on the the sales manager or the leader to actually be using those tools and coaching their teams. Um, I, I firmly believe now, if you're not in those tools more than you ever have been before, you know you're gonna you're gonna lose your team. They're gonna go somewhere else where they can be developed faster, just because you're not sitting beside your team and learning. So spending more time as a leader on development and coaching. And then analytics. This this is kind of an interesting one. There's there's a ton of new analytics tools coming into the space. Um, I use People AI recently, which uh, which I thought was great. But I think people are a little scared about analytics and, and looking at the data and looking at the, the metrics and how much activity people are having. And my my thought is it's it's not about micromanagement, right? It's about knowing where and how to coach someone to be successful. So looking at the metrics like calls and emails and open rates and connects and how many demos they're having per opportunity in their talk time, right? The key is you have to use that information to work with the rep and say, hey, where's somewhere we can be better at and then work with them on that. But because there's so much in that space, I feel like most importantly, you know, if you're a seed stage or early stage startup, you probably don't need all the bells and whistles. So it's fig- figuring out what you as a leader would actually want to measure what actually impacts your rep development and revenue. And then if you're part of a bigger team, hey, what tool are your sales leaders actually going to use, right? Because the last thing you want to do is buy something that has all the bells and whistles and your sales leaders don't even use it. So something to really think through and maybe get the buy-in of your team as you're looking at these analytics tools and just have a, a real frank conversation. Hey, would you actually use this or not? Because if not, great, let's not use it yet. And are you are you seeing, maybe just from your, your prior experience, but also in conversations, are people using less tools, getting more sort of ROI intensive, focused, you know, because these reps are not in the, as you, you articulate, sort of not in the office, they can't sort of talk with each other 
uh, desk to desk? Or is it the opposite where, hey, we need to buy more tools and, and sort of leverage more technology because now we're sitting, you know, in our, our uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn loft or something like that? Yeah, I, I think the hunch people have is we need to buy more tools. Right. However, they already have tools and my guess is 90% of them are just not utilizing the tools that they have. So they're almost looking at, ooh, our revenue's down, or we have some repetition, or we need right. to, to coach better, so let's buy something, versus, hey, we already have Gong or Course. Like, what, are you guys actually spending time listening Using, to the calls? Yeah, right. right. And you, you oftentimes find that that's, that's sort of the root. Pro- they're actually not using it, and there's an issue there. Totally. Okay. Totally. So I, I know that was from the sales lens, but Mike, I, I know you took a look at part of the marketing automation right, yeah. trend that's been happening. You wanna, you wanna talk through some things you found there? Yeah, sure. So uh, just to level set with everybody, people have very different um, definitions of what marketing automation is. For us, the term involves tooling that basically helps marketers to capture leads, nurture them down a sales funnel probably, and then do a bunch of different things around business intelligence, analysis, campaign performance, all sort of that BI and analytics stack. But capture nurture uh, through, to, through to closing is kind of the point um, of the exercise here at Bowery and in the sales stack report. The report this year is, again, it's pretty consistent. We highlight five vendors that we view as kind of standouts. HubSpot, obviously, number one. They have their great marketing hub product that continues to be used by a lot of the Bowery Capital portfolio, but then more broadly, um, I think there's sort of tens of thousands of people using that now. The other four we highlight are Active Campaign, Clavio, SharpSpring, and then OmniSend on on more the the international side. I'm not gonna recite the specifics from each of the slides. You can take a look at our view, the scoring, what we sort of think of each of these companies uh, on your own time. I will highlight maybe three ideas or things coming out of um, or more marketing automation research with G2 that is pretty fascinating in terms of the go forward. So the first thing that you notice when you look at these vendors relative to even as early as last year is sales collateral and marketing language a bit changed towards this very buzzy machine learning, artificial intelligence terminology as marketing language. Most, if not all of these vendors sort of ramped this up this year and are now selling their products around this. They're, they're using a lot of these kind of AI or ML buzzwords in, in the collateral. Look, I think some of it around lead scoring, around automating cadences and flow can be effective. Probably basic machine learning, not, not really any artificial intelligence. But I think what remains to be seen when you dig below the collateral is whether our rep is saving time or the, the sort of true measures of, of implementing a marketing automation tool. And, and is this making my life easier as, as a measure of ROI? Um, I don't think we're fully there yet from full orchestration of, let's say, an SDR, not really having to do much, uh, if anything. Again, a lot of the collateral suggests that you can get there, but then when you actually dig into this, it's really manual still. Um, the other thing I think is interesting about that one is Humanization of messaging is getting really important. CXOs on down that are buying products are burnt out. I mean, they're getting more messages than ever. It's it's um, 
a little bit different that they're not taking face-to-face meetings for the most part. Um, so can AI and ML actually humanize these messages, make it more relatable? The jury's really still out there. I don't think we've really seen that come to fruition. So that's one interesting trend. The second and totally obvious to everybody who's, who's looking into this, especially given iOS and GDPR, is this kind of macro sense of change, I would say, around privacy. Sales teams just can't do what they did before. It's a constant conversation point uh, with these vendors. You see it show up in the message and in the sales collateral. Obviously, what I'm getting at is data usage needs to be more transparent. We need to let users and, and our audiences know what we're doing with their information. So as a result, the vendors have had to react to this. Um, you know, when you pair this with kind of user behavior, tracking, personalization, it's going to be interesting to see how these product teams evolve their messages and, and then their products. I don't think that we are late enough in that game. It's still super early. And I think you got probably another year or two before we figure out the privacy question as it relates to marketing auto- automation. The last thing I'll highlight a little quick uh, is integrations. I think this year and probably last year were the first two years where we really, really saw vendors talk a lot about integration. Hey, we don't necessarily want you to use our product suite for everything. You might use a different SMS vendor. You might use a different social vendor. You might use a different email vendor. You might whatever. Uh, But we want to make sure that everything is integrated and you can utilize our product as as uh, the consolidator or the centralization engine for the stack. And you see this a lot in HubSpot in particular. Um, and so that is getting better, I'd say, if you're a marketer or if you're a sales manager to be able to run these cadences through a central system and not have to have multiple point solutions stitched together, um, that's always better. And so I think that you're going to continue to see that. I think their language is going to continue to evolve towards that. Um, The thing is with marketing automation in a more broad sense is there's never a single vendor that dominates any of these categories. Um, If you look at any way of communicating, there's usually two to five vendors that sort of are best in class and own their respective category, but it's never one. So I think the theme of integration is going to be consistent over the next few years. No one is going to take a dominant share of every one of these communication channels to sort of own the business. I think HubSpot's probably got the 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 best shot, but they're still going to need to integrate with, you know, X or Y company in SMS or X or Y company related to onsite, this company related to push, whatever, you know, you're going to as a sales team choose best of breed products and it may not come from that single marketing automation vendor. So that's a couple of things on marketing automation. Um, question back to you as I've started to sort of think through this, maybe how do we think about prioritization? What do you think about sort of early stage to growth? What do you got to factor in? What do you want to consider and, and care about? Yeah, this one's this one's tough because you know you, you might think, okay, great, I've got my company, so let me go to this Bowery sales deck report, look at every type of tool there is and let me just buy the best one, right? I'm going to get the best CRM and the best marketing automation tool and the best live chat and the best CPQ and the best sales analytics. But like we know that that certainly doesn't work. So it's really taking a look at where you're at as a company and what are the biggest priorities and maybe what are the biggest pains you're facing. Um, and then as you're picking these tools, I always like to factor in cost, um, your implementation bandwidth. 
scalability and the cost of switching later, this this is such a tough one. Like you take CRM, for example. Um, I really love recommending HubSpot to some of our early stage founders and, and seed stage companies. But we know how dominant Salesforce is in the CRM space for, for any mid-market and an up company. Mm. So is, is the thinking, hey, this is going to cost less and the bandwidth is lower, but there is going to be a pain of, of switching later. Um, it's like, do, do you go ahead and rip the Band-Aid off now or do you, do you right. wait till later? Right. So that's, that's something I'm, I'm still trying to figure out. Well, and you're, you're, for, for most companies, your recommendation as a CRM plus marketing automation tool, maybe plus sort of intelligence and lead capturing and that HubSpot would sort of be your principal recommendation if we're a you know, pre-seed or seed stage company. Definitely. Uh, that, okay. that would be my strong recommendation. And, and part of it is I, I think they do a pretty good job of making it not too painful to pick a best in breed module yeah. later yeah. on. Maybe you keep most of the modules, but you start to replace one at a time as you become more enterprise. Whereas I know in, in talking with a lot of buyers, one of their fears is if they get too much of a consolidated system and it does too many things, it's actually too painful to replace. And that's actually a fear of theirs. Mm. So I, I think about that that ease of switching later. So that's that's one of the reasons I like HubSpot, not just because they they do so much and they do it all quite well, but it's actually not that painful to take out oh, a take out a thing and put in something else later. Yeah, I'm um, I'm going to disagree with you. Okay, there, I'm a, uh, <laughs> uh, as 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 you know, I am sort of of the view that you for for these sort of decisions, you might as well do something now rather than later cost obviously as the most important piece of this but my sort of triangle of recommendation tends to be salesforce sales loft and some lead lead in, you know zoom info or, so, yep. or something like that um and everybody gives me gruff about salesforce um <laughs> you know salesforce has a salesforce for startups program they have a thing called salesforce accelerate 2 they have another one called Jumpstart. All all these things are are wonderful. They're not exclusively focused on sort of early stage, you know, technology companies. Um, and and for the most part, you can dodge and weave or play the game, but you're probably still going to pay you know nine hundred bucks to fifteen hundred bucks per user um, per month for for the product. There, there's really no way around that. The other thing to consider is most founders rightfully so are not salesforce administrators they're not salesforce developers they are not going to spend countless hours orchestrating salesforce to their specific sales process map or their whatever whatever needs but be that as it may we've seen external vendors work with our companies for a couple thousand dollars to really set up a basic sales sort of business unit instance uh, of the product um, if you've got that and you've got the time, I think at the end of the day, you're probably going to be uh, in a better position because the likelihood that you switch later to Salesforce um, is, you know, pr- pretty high. I think I think it's a very powerful powerful product as as you grow. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of uh, where I'm at. Sorry, I'm not I'm, re- I'm not really a Salesforce <laughs> fanboy, um, but uh, yeah. Well, it's a good point. I think it's you have to look in the mirror at your leadership style or what kind of leaders you have on your team because it's about adoption. 
right? Like, right. Yeah. For, well, there's that too. Yeah. It's it's at what point will you as a team hold people accountable to actually having things in the CRM? Because there are easier to use tools like PipeDrive looks friendlier. You can grab a scratch pad to help with things like that. Um, or HubSpot's more user friendly. Yeah. Because you know every early stage company I've been a part of, the CRM data was a nice to have, and maybe you got a slap on the wrist. But you know by the time Trip Actions was growing, it was becoming you know Series D, Series E type company. There's that transition point where if it doesn't exist in the CRM, then it's not real. It's not right, your opportunity. Right, the right. next step didn't happen. And there's that flip. So it's it's you know do you want to start that earlier or not? Um, I would agree. I, th- I think if you can build that habit earlier, definitely go for it. But we know when you're a seed stage Series A company, you're flying the plane and building at the same time, and things are falling apart. And can you can you really yell at someone for not having the CRM up to date? It just depends on the person. Cool. So I think we're at time. Any any closing thoughts? Uh, obviously. Go check out the report, right? I mean, that's that's, that's step one. Yeah, check out the yeah. report. It's not it's not exactly your 120 page weekend read, but I think there's some really good high level insights. We have some recommendations from some really awesome sales leaders in the space. Uh, so let's be on page eight of the report. And then if there's any particular type of tool you're looking for, you know, we have a, a really clean, easy to read. Hey, jump to page 61 for sales coaching, kind of a thing. Cool. That's great. All right. Well, that's our show today. So yeah, like we said, go check out the report. We'd love your thoughts. Um, If you think there's anything we missed or G2 missed, um, we'd love to hear about it. We love finding products that maybe aren't as mainstream or aren't as widely adopted yet that, that you're in love with. You know, Rich Liu in the report, he mentions there's a ton of freemium options that you can get started with. Who's Rich? Rich Lou, Lattice, Lattice uh, Trip, Trip Actions, Actions MuleSoft, first head of sales, yeah, right. Facebook, absolute legend in the space. He's part of the Revenue Council at Barry Capital. Um, Allison Pickens as well. She shared some tools that I'd never heard of, but I've already been digging into and playing with, and I'm 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 loving. So very cool. At the end of the day, it's just finding ways to actually empower and up level your teams to be successful as you as you grow and scale.